Hey guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the Movement Docs Podcast. Today we've got a special guest of ours, Tyler Cope. Tyler Cope is a physical therapist and athletic trainer from Raleigh, North Carolina. He received his athletic training at UNC uh, Hill and DPT at Elon University. He currently works at Duke Sports Medicine and works in the clinic with general sports medicine slash ortho population and then does outreach athletic training duties at a local high school as well as various club sports. Tyler's main interests lie in hazing and generally making Mike Fitzpatrick's life as difficult as he can as he acclimates to his new work site. Uh, for those who don't know, <laughs> Tyler is my mentor at Duke. So I had recently just started and they have a mentorship kind of program where, um, you know, kind of help get acclimated to all that and some hazing and that kind of stuff as well. But no, all jokes aside, but Tyler, we're really excited to uh, have you on the podcast today. Thanks for coming on. Tyler, thanks for I want to, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just want to publicly thank you for hazing Mike. Um, you're doing God's work and I just want you to know that. Uh, well, I appreciate it. I also appreciate you guys having me on the podcast too. I got to tell you guys, I've listened to thousands and thousands of hours of podcasts on all my commutes. And so for this to be the first podcast I've ever been on is both exciting and also a little nervous too. This is, this is great. So thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited. Yeah. Um, can I, can I start by asking you what, uh, What's the best prank that you've pulled on Mike so far? Ooh, the best prank we pulled on so far. So we we've started off pretty tame. We haven't really done any any hardcore pranks yet. So you know, we want to welcome Mike with some open arms and uh, you know make things pretty uh pretty chill coming in. But uh, Mike Mike's got to stay on his toes. So that'll be uh, <laughs> TBD about pranks coming forth. Do yeah, a little he, good cop bad cop. Yeah. He, he's actually a pathologic toe walker. So. Um, <laughs> Literally, I think you'll you'll find that he stays on his toes quite often. Awesome. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, Tyler, we've uh, we had a little bit of an intro from the bio here, but can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. So um, I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina, right down the road. Um, and so right after high school, I went to NC State, maybe a mile away from my house. So didn't make it very far there. I was actually a communication media major to start. Uh, I want to do more uh, production or even business stuff for TV, film, and radio. And then I had a huge pivot at that point. About two years in, I'm like, you know what? Kind of like sports medicine and, and everything it had to offer with it. So I actually went ahead and transferred to the enemy at the time, UNC Chapel Hill, <laughs> and uh, finished up my athletic training degree there and, and, and loved it. Um, and then at the same time, I decided to transfer. I also decided I want to do PT at the same time. So um, after UNC, I kind of worked random odd job athletic training stuff for about a year. And then I ended up going to Elon for PT school for, of course, next couple of years. And then the last few years I've been here at Duke. So it's been a, a good ride so far and uh, learned a lot, but haven't moved very far. I've made it maybe 30 miles down the road, so okay, uh, nice. stay pretty local. I'm trying to get all of the colleges in the area, you know. Mm. Okay. NC State, Chapel Hill, Duke. Oh, is there anything else inside the triangle, the research triangle there? Or is that that does that encompass the triangle? That those are the three pillars of the triangle right there. So, 
usually the, the big rivalry, if, if you guys, any of the listeners aren't familiar, is UNC and Duke, obviously. Um, but NC State also, I'm going to say this as a state fan first, so that don't tell my boss or anybody else. Um, so uh, NC State is also has quite the rivalry as well. And UNC and Duke, being the quote-unquote big brothers, usually refer to uh, – or refuse to accept the fact that they're rivals. So it's a – it's a it's a big thing over in this area, and uh, it makes for a good time for for basketball season. Um, I just want to I just want to ask this um, as someone from North Carolina, and who I'm assuming is a because you said the word basketball is also a basketball fan. How does it feel to know that the University of Virginia won the national championship this year? Oh, that one hurt deep. Are you a UVA fan? I am a UVA alum. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, it's good for you guys. You know, it's it's nice, I'm sure, to actually join the company of, of uh, you know, more uh. basketball schools. So it feels nice, doesn't it? You know, congrats <laughs> to you guys. Cheers to that. Oh, man. <laughs> Welcome wow. to the club. I know. It's, it's nice being in the winner's circle for once. Um, you know, we probably have the same outlook on uh, Virginia Tech. They typically beat us in football, but uh, we have – significantly more national championships in like every other sport compared to them uh sorry other than i think like bass fishing maybe you know like a national national title in that but uh yeah don't first of all don't knock club pro bass fishing i'm (laughs) pro at the same time but there's some strange clubs out there so don't you know who knows there could be some bass pro bass fans uh out there listening so you gotta be careful (laughs) i want to formally apologize to anyone that I've offended with my um, bass fishing comment. <laughs> the bass is a beautiful animal. Um, significantly more majestic than any sort of trout or uh, any other local freshwater fish that you might find. Especially catfish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, I love it. Okay. Uh, Tower, do you have any strange habits or unusual things that you like to do that's kind of unique oh, to you? God. I feel like now that you've been working with us for the last couple months, you probably could be the first one to, to note that. I'm sure there's tons. Um, I think one weird thing about myself is like, and this is, it's pollen season here in North Carolina, so everyone's sneezing everywhere. But one weird thing is I can't sneeze without coughing at the same time. It's just this horrendous a chew and cough together, and it happens all the time in clinic. And there's nothing I can do about it. I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm lost. But uh, it's been there for 29 years, and I uh, don't know how to fix it. So it's uh, one really weird thing I got about me. <laughs> that sounds brutal. <laughs> As I'm laughing about this, I don't know why. <laughs> but, it's yeah. rough. Um, but uh, uh, other than that, I would say uh, one habit or one really cool thing I like, um, I'm really into rock climbing, which is kind of a considered an alternative sport, I guess, but maybe getting more mainstream as, as the years go by. So uh, that's one of my unusual sports I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Now, are you doing, like, mostly, like, indoor stuff, bouldering? Uh, are you actually doing, like, uh, like climbing on, like, just sheer faces with, like, a, a kit and stuff or free climbing? And, like, what do, you, what do you do? Well, have you ever seen Free Solo, the documentary? Yes. Is that what you do? Are you that- him? That's me. I just I'm hanging out, way up there, no rope. It's the only way to know how to live, you know. Yeah. No, no, no. I, uh, 
contrary to that film, 99.99% of climbers do not free solo. So I do most of my climbing in the gym. Uh, but when I get a good weekend, I like to go outside and there's a couple cool crags, as they call it, a couple hours away. So Hanging Rock or Pilot Mountain. So, uh, so mostly inside being where we're at in the triangle, um, but definitely enjoy going outside too. How strong is your grip? Well, on the grip dynamometer two days ago, it was uh, 75 newtons or pounds. I don't know. And I'm a little dude, so I don't know. That's like the only thing I got. So I'll hold on to that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure your grip strength is like significantly better than mine. I don't know, man. With your stronger shirt on and I've heard about your lifting pass. I, I don't know about that. I don't know. I have like little – I don't know if you've seen my hands before, but it's basically like a sausage patty with like little smokies sticking out of it. Um, man. You know, like for reference, it's just like – it's just it's, wide. I got a lot of like um, thenar hypertrophy. see that. So it makes like gripping things very challenging. You're just your hands is a wad of muscle. Um, yeah, you could say that. It's, grip events are not my forte. I mean, we could. You, everyone's got to start somewhere. We'll bring in the climbing world. We're pretty inclusive. I wonder how high I could climb. I'm probably thinking like two feet. Um, I, I'd put you at least eight. Eight. You, you look like you have the determination. You can make it at least a, a couple more than that. Okay. Um. Mike, maybe we'll do that when I'm when I come down. Yeah, because you're planning on coming down what next weekend? <sighs> yeah, in like a five five days. Okay. All right. Perfect. Plan set. Let's do it. Um, yeah, you're, I'm gonna need you to dial nine and one on your phone before we do this. <laughs> Just have it ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully we won't need it. I have faith. I believe in you, Jake. Oh, that's good. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Cheers to that. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, um, we mentioned this a little bit before, you know, you started at this kind of media communications major and then you kind of pivoted or there was a pivotal moment um, where you switched and you kind of went into PT and AT. So what was the, oh my gosh, you have a pivot pen. That's hilarious. I do not endorse the pivot company. I just stole this pen from a, a career day. So, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Um, but I'm kind of curious. So like, I know we talked a little bit about this before in terms of like, you, you liked both of them, but what was the big like kicker to do both or like, what is it like, what do you envision or how do you see using both like athletic training and physical therapy together? Like what, what was the, the thought behind that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think when I was transferring and really doing the pivot, um, from communication to sports medicine, uh, I, really enjoy the population of sports medicine people. I'm seeing the pivot pen back in the camera again. Um, but, you know, I really enjoy that population of people to treat. But I also, uh, I, I like the idea actually of working in clinic, which most people don't. Um, and um, just seeing people every half an hour, hour, to, for me being a really extroverted person, a really talkative person, I, I really enjoy that. Um, and so not only that, but also just the, consistency of hours that that are involved in PT as opposed to uh, traditional athletic training for like a college or pro team or even high school team or high school I uh, it seemed to me that PT uh, and also doing AT as well could be a good combination um, 
So, and also another thing too is that um, I did athletic training as an undergrad degree, as you as did you, Mike. I think, and Jake. I'm not sure, but um, no, what was really cool about that was that you could get an actual professional degree in that, in that skill. So, like, skill you can get paid at in undergrad. So, why not? You know, why not get patient contact hours in undergrad? Why not? You know, con- learn some hands-on stuff and, and actually learn applicable skills before you even get to PT school. So that's one of the big reasons why I uh, chose athletic training for, for undergrad. Mm-hmm. That's a cool background. I think it's useful. You know, I, I think it's – I'm actually kind of curious too, though, um, how things are going to be going in the future now because I think everything's trying to transition into entry-level masters. Yeah. Um, and so I'd be kind of curious as like, you know, as this kind of moves forward, um, what we're going to see and how this like landscape of athletic training, physical therapy is going to like shape shift a little bit. Um, moving forward that is really fascinating especially with the fact that now high schools when with high school football require an athletic trainer or a at least a first responder on hand so the demand's going up for athletic trainers but i wonder how many people are going to not choose athletic training because it's entry-level master's degree um as opposed to you know choosing pt or pa or something um so i'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how that's going to go um Mm -hmm. Personally, I like the idea, like I said before, of having skills and having uh, applicable professional certifications out of undergrad so we don't just rack up a ton of debt and then kind of go from there. So I don't know. We'll see. I'd like to think that the um, NATA has a good vision in mind and that uh, it'll work out for the best, but we'll see. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that's with that push to master's level education is just the the base AT salary, you know, with that extra twenty to sixty thousand dollars that you have to go through school and potentially accruing student debt for. I mean, that's a pretty substantial amount of of like additional debt to have. And then with the, you know, it varies depending on the setting that you're in, but I would say on average you're probably looking at like thirty to thirty five thousand dollars for like a starting salary for an athletic trainer, um, if you have a full time gig. Because we have a lot of uh, of our cohort members that um, can't get a full time spot, so they're serving as like a, an AT two, mm-hmm. and that doesn't really pay much at all. So they're mm-hmm. having to work like you know in a clinic somewhere for part time, and then try to work uh, as an athletic trainer, and mm-hmm. so it can be it can be pretty tough. I uh, totally agree. Yeah, the salary compared to how much you're putting in for school if you're going to do entry-level masters. Um, you know, I haven't looked at the cost, what it, what it takes to do entry-level masters for AT alone, but I'm sure the the difference is, I don't know, it, it would be tough. Uh, I think mm-hmm. if I were coming in now, knowing what I know, I don't know if I would do it. It's just an entry-level masters and then do a PT on top of that. I just don't, I think the AT-PT combo hybrid is probably going to be a dying breed in, in coming years because of that. Now, do you... Worse. Do you see that transitioning more into like an SCS within the PT community? I do. Um, and again, it comes down to what PTs are going to be allowed to do in the field. So yes, you can get your SCS, but can you, um, with certain concussion laws, like can you treat concussion on the field? You know, what, uh, basically legal, uh, logistically and legally, like what are PTs allowed to do on the field? And that's, what's going to determine if PT could kind of fill that void and almost push athletic training out as a profession or, uh, or what's going to happen. So I, I really don't know. And that's where it gets, it gets kind of like, 
interesting from like a legal and practice act perspective because you know like an athletic trainer serving for a high school like you're working with uh you know an md or do um who is your medical director and signs off on your ability to do a lot of the emergency service stuff um depending on your doc i know we have had uh, i think a couple of our clinical instructors in the past have been okayed for like you know certain like smaller joint relocations and stuff like that with their their doc but you know, as a direct access or as a physical therapist, like, you know, is that extended with like direct access laws? Like how does, there's, there's just like a lot of stuff that kind of gets hazy as far as what you're, what you're allowed to do, especially if you don't have the same amount of like uh, emergency medical care that you would going through an athletic training program and like on field hours and stuff like that. Right. right. I know with a lot of the SCS residencies, they do uh, make sure that you get that requirement. You have your, your emergency medicine stuff kind of taken care of, but um, it, you know, it's hard to say because different programs have different things. If you're going to do like an online one versus like an in-person residency, you know, what's the difference in the quality of education and the, the quality time that you're having on field. And I think that, you know, we've had this discussion, Mike and I have talked about this quite a bit. We've talked about it in school. I think the, the tendency is for people that have already have that athletic training degree is that the bias is more towards like ATCs are much better gonna, are going to be much better at that thing because they've served in that functionality a little bit more, or at least the, the bias is there more towards athletic trainers, but it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future. Yeah. I think it all just comes down to training, um, training mm-hmm. and the drive of, of whatever clinician it is. So, um, if PT decides to start having more internships where you're getting hours on field, you know, doing a, a emergent and acute care, then, um, then yeah, I don't see why PTs couldn't kind of evolve into that role. Um, and I don't, I think when it comes down to the clinician and athletic trainer versus PT, it just comes down to how much they want to continue to learn and, um, mm. and fit the role that they're, they're working on. Um, it's interesting, uh, in other countries, I think the, the two professions are just one. So in Europe, you're a physio or Australia, you're a physio. I don't think there is necessarily an athletic trainer versus a physical therapist. It's more of a, the physio is almost more of like a PT, but if you're a sports physio, you work on the field. So I don't know how that would work over here. Mm. At the end of the day, I'd like to think that we just give the best, you know, the whole goal is to keep people safe and healthy. So it, it sounds silly that we're kind of arguing about who can do what, because at the end of the day, like I said, we just want people to get better. Right. So, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it's, it's frustrating because there's so much, like being certified in both professions, there's so much like kind of like bickering that you see back and forth because, you know, PTs trying to infringe upon what athletic training does, and AT or uh, PT feels like ATs are trying to infringe upon what PTs do, and then you've got like you know chiropractic and everything else, and everybody's fighting for what their practice rights are within a state, um, and sometimes it's it's easy to forget that like you know we're all on the same team and that we should right. be together versus like you know bickering about like who gets to do what. Um, right. Because I mean, at the end of the day, if somebody has a, an ACL tear, right. And you're an athletic trainer rehabbing them versus PT, you're still pulling from the same literature base. You're, you should still be pulling from the same principles. The goal is to still get them back and better. So I don't think one has a leg up over the other. It just depends on, on the clinician. And, um, and again, the, the whole legal side of things of, you know, why people are fighting so much is, because at the end of the day, that's how much that's how you get paid, you know. So if if you as an athletic train as an athletic trainer in that profession, if you 
if the PTs can do everything you can, then you might not be as valuable anymore, right? So I don't know. It's a definitely a unique, tough situation. Which, mm-hmm. going back to, like, salaries and stuff, if you look at, I think it's something that potentially the profession of athletic training is kind of, like, done to itself. But I think part of the reason why you see that lower salary is because those are the people that want to be in those positions, and so they're willing to take – you know, less pay or to do free internships. I mean, if you look at a lot of the GA positions, um, I mean, some of them you get a stipend and you get like, you know, free tuition and stuff like that at, at some college placements. But at least within like the NFL, those oh, GA, yeah. GA positions are, you're lucky to get money. You know? Oh, yeah. And it's almost necessary too to do one of those, mm-hmm. right? So actually in the year between undergrad and grad school for me, or actually when I was applying for grad school, um, I didn't know if I was actually going to get in or not to PT school, but there was a couple offers available to do the one-year intern position in the NFL, mm-hmm. um, where basically they'll take m- most anybody that's an AT as long as you you know well enough connected, but they pay you nothing. You know they'll pay you eighteen thousand dollars a year, um, but that's what you need in order to kind of break into that world. So there, and, and I guarantee you, you're working way more than forty hours a week. You know, you're probably working <laughs> 60, 70, 80 hours. Yet you're getting paid nothing, but it's just this necessary thing that people will take because if you don't do it, guess what? You're not you're not going to break into that world. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, yeah, well, bad. When I was with the Redskins, I mean, that was I saw that stuff firsthand. Um, our seasonal ATC intern, I mean, there were some weeks between travel and you know taking people to doctor's appointments and stuff like that. I mean, he was probably pulling close to eighty to one hundred hours a week you know, in the training room or at the facility doing something mm-hmm. um, because he was the only, I mean, he was the only intern, like different, different NFL organizations have different numbers of interns. So I think like, I, I want to say like the Jets usually take like four or something like that, but the Redskins usually would only take one. And so he was working, he was working a lot of hours. I mean, he became fantastic at what he did because he got a ton of experience, mm-hmm. but you know, to crack into that world, you, you're looking at doing that for one to three years and then hoping to find a spot that opens up and i mean that can be tough man you gotta really gotta be what you want to do yeah it's tough (laughs) but what can you do (laughs) change it that's what we have to do no i don't know if we can um but anyway, um, let's let's kind of go down this line just a little bit more too, and kind of talk a little bit about it. So, um, you know, we're kind of in this cool position right now where we get to walk both lines a little bit. And I did want to touch on um, a little bit of like the rehab aspect of thing and talking about like really good care. Um, I think it's awesome when you can collaborate with athletic trainers and physical therapists. And like, say you have a kid that has an ACL injury or something like that, you can have time in the clinic dedicated to them. Um, to do the rehabs and all that kind of stuff, but then you can adjunct it right at the high school. And so, you know, there's, you know, you can get like maybe three or four sessions of treatments in across the week, maybe sometimes even more um, with that collaboration between both professionals, right? And so you get a really focused 30, 45 minutes in, the, in a PT clinic. And then you can also get, you know, like some corrections of exercise and advancements and that kind of stuff in the athletic training room. Um, cuts down insurance costs and that kind of thing too and also the athlete gets really awesome care so i think it's great i don't know just wanted to throw that in there now the two of you guys like being in a position where you kind of work in both of those positions do you get to take part in that a lot like do are you in high schools where you 
you treat people in the clinic sometimes, but you also treat them like in the athletic training clinic. Like how, how does, how does that work? Yeah. So, uh, over at Duke where Mike and I work, we have, I think just contracts or agreements set up with a lot of the high schools, uh, local yeah. high schools in the area. And so, so Mike and I would work, let's say spring and non-football times of the year, about 30 hours a week, um, in the clinic and then about 10 hours a week at the high schools themselves. So, um, with our athletes there, what we can do is if we want a more one-on-one session, just uh, in the clinic, 30 minutes or an hour, whatever, however long it's going to be, we can schedule them um, in the clinic and do that. But then most days we're out of the high school in the training room, so we can work, like Mike was saying, um, with them just at the high school alone, which doesn't cost any insurance, uh, no, you know, no copay obviously for them. It's free, so it gives us a lot of flexibility in treating people. And uh, let's say, for example. Uh, one of Mike's patients, that's actually happening right now, like one of Mike's <laughs> patients from, uh, from his high school has surgery and then I can see him, you know, one-on-one in the clinic. But then I know that Mike's going to be at the high school that we're associated with. So I say, hey, you know what? Um, come see me once a week. But then in the other days, go ahead and see Mike. And that way you can kind of get your, you know, because Mike might be seeing six or ten people at a time. But go ahead and do your exercises with Mike. He's going to supervise those. And then next week when you come back in, we can – really take the time to individualize your care and progress you and, and kind of see where you're at. So it's a, it's a really cool collaborative model we have going on and really one of the reasons I took the job too. So when you're, when you guys are out in the like athletic training session, um, are you mostly doing like predominantly more like clinical rehab type stuff there? Um, is like, is that the focus before you go do like on field stuff, like on a practice day? Cause I'm assuming for games and stuff, you guys are probably on field unless there's somebody in the clinic that needs like some one-on-one stuff. But is that, is that how it, how it rolls for you or is it a little bit different? Definitely. So our, our primary focus, the high schools um, is, is rehab and helping out the athletic trainers. So for, for me at the high school I work at uh, rehab starts about four o'clock. Mm-hmm. And so school gets out and all the kids come in. And so I'll spend a lot of time, you know, hour and a half or so with all the kids I can and really focusing on that a couple days a week and then when it comes to on-field coverage we're more secondary so we're with it just there honestly to help out the primary athletic trainers at the school we are not the sole athletic trainers at these high schools so um if football season we're definitely at all the games uh, home and away but during the rest of the year uh, if there's several games going on at one time you know if we have more hours we need to, to help out the school with them i might cover softball and they might cover soccer at that time um, or just hang out together if it's just one game but the primary goal is really to help them out with both rehab and also facilitating uh, the high school kids to come into Duke and uh, and kind of be that liaison there so when you guys are doing like if you have to do split coverage like say you know like you said there's a soccer game softball game going on would you guys take the um, the lower risk for injury sport like is that where they would want like the staff AT to be like a high, high risk sport well, I think we're we're both ATs, right? Uh, either the the outreach physical therapist is, mm. is also going to be an athletic trainer as well. Um, so it just depends on your relationship with the athletic trainer at that high school. So everyone has it does it a little bit differently. Mm. We don't really at the high school I work at. We don't really think of it that way. We just whichever one we want to cover, we do. Uh, but I'm sure other partnerships and relationships work different than that. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. And what you had mentioned too, Tyler, about you know, being a facilitator is really nice because say you do have an athlete that comes in and 
you know, they're having some shoulder instability stuff or, you know, they took a fall and um, you feel like you need to get them to be seen in the clinic. Um, we've got a really good relationship with our docs here. And so we can oftentimes, you know, make a phone call, take a look at the schedule and see if we can get them in, you know, like the next day. Um, and so we can find kind of holes in the schedules and all that kind of stuff and, and get them an appointment and kind of facilitate that role so they get the care that they need um, quickly so they're not waiting on a wait list for a while to see some. Yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a win-win for everybody. So on the athletic trainer side of things, they get free help. They get us uh, to help out the rehab and coverage. For the high school kids, they have, again, us to help out free rehab for them at the high schools. And like Mike was saying, we can help facilitate them to get uh, really good care, you know, really good surgeons um, at their fingertips. Um, and then from our end, we get to hang out at the high school and go to the field. So I, I think everybody's happy in that in that partnership. Mm -hmm. No, I mean that sounds that sounds awesome. Yeah, which is good. Okay, so we talked a little bit about um, kind of the the outreach side of things. Um, go, kind of going along this kind of like dual life and all this kind of stuff. What what does your day typically look like? And then um, you know what advice would you give to somebody who's you know kind of interested in pursuing this kind of this dual life? Sure. So. Um, I guess a normal day in the life, I would uh, wake up and I start clinical coverage at 10 o'clock. So I do, my, my schedule is generally 10 to 7, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. But I'll wake up a little earlier than that, um, do a workout in the morning, get everything ready for the day, prep my patients, and then I'll see people in clinic basically from a straight block from 10 or 10.30 to 3 or 3.30 to see people straight through. And then at that point in time, one of two things happens. Either I come back after lunch um, and then just continue till seven, or I go to the high school starting at four and then do rehab for uh, the kids in the little high school clinic. And then if there's game coverage to help out with or practices that they need help with, then I'll stay afterwards till really whatever time is needed. So some days are pretty early. Some of these days you get off at five or 5.30. Other days you might get off at 8.30 or nine. So I think at the end, end of the day, it kind of averages out. Mm -hmm. um, but it makes it so it's not the same thing every day. So it's a, it's a good change of pace. Now, if you have to work like a weekend tournament or something like that, does that reduce the clinic hours that you're in during the week or like, does that get accounted for at all? So that's definitely a thing for us, um, at Duke and a lot of actual hospital based PT, uh, clinics, you have to do 10 Saturdays a year. Mm -hmm. And for most of PTs in the Duke system, you work just a full-on Saturday, 10 of them a year. For us as athletic trainers, they, they do a really cool thing where we can, um, if we cover weekend events or club events, anything that's sanctioned by them, then that can count as time towards our 10 clinic days a year. So we've got it pretty good on the, uh, the dual life end. I think a lot of other people are kind of envious of it. So um, definitely appreciative and, and gracious for that um, rather than just kind of another day in clinic on the Saturday. Which is good. Cool. I got you. Okay. Um, so, you know, this is this is something interesting. We were talking about this um, probably a couple of weeks ago here, Tyler. You just recently um, presented, right, at North Carolina's um, AT um, conference. Um, and we were kind of talking about um, different ways that, you know, athletic trainers and physical therapists and all that can kind of stay up to date on research and all this other kind of stuff. So, um, you know, there's a lot of interesting technology that's out there and a lot of different ways that we can use um, a lot of different things. And I was hoping we can get a chance to talk about that today. So, you know, 
we're about two years short of Skynet kind of taking over the world here. Uh, but until then, we can probably use that technology to our advantage. So kind of the question here is, you know, how can clinicians use technology today to kind of help us facilitate care and, and all that kind of stuff? What are your thoughts? So first thing, I, I'm pretty sure Skynet takes over in 20, either 23 or 2026. So oh, we've God. got about four to six years left. We have more than more than two. Okay. <laughs> um, so we'll make sure everybody knows that so no one's panicking. Um, in terms of how to stay up to date with technology and, and using all those different avenues, it's pretty cool these days that we have so much information at our fingertips now um, with the, you know, the social media age and uh, in all the different platforms that are out there. I, I definitely think it's a good idea to kind of have that ongoing current information coming to, to you. But there's also a responsibility in that as well. So, um, you know, if you go on Instagram or you go on Twitter or several of these other things, you're going to get all kinds of opinions, all kinds of hot takes, all kinds, you know, just everything's coming at you. And so, um, so it's great. You get a lot of ideas, but at the same time, you've got to figure out kind of what's crap compared to what's actually reasonable to use. So if I had to do a percentage of things, I'd say I probably use and verbatim actually five to ten percent of everything I see um, and you know I think to really be a good consumer of all this stuff coming out it all comes down to your research literacy and your critical thinking and so the way I like to see it we have all these all this information coming in and um, our job is or what we should be doing is, is letting that information challenge our current thoughts and beliefs on things so you know when you come out of school you were taught a certain way and or maybe your clinicals taught you a certain way, but I think one great use of all the social media stuff is to sit back and say, hey, I, you know, I haven't thought about it that way. It's actually not a, a bad point. Or I've been doing soft tissue or this technique or whatever, but now there's a series of people with evidence backing up saying that maybe, maybe this isn't the way to go. Mm-hmm. So sitting back and kind of sifting through that to figure out what you can add to your practice is, is a hard thing to do. Um, and you can get totally sidetracked in all kinds of ways with, with the social media gurus and, and all that. Um, so I, I like to have a kind of a curated stream of stuff coming in and then uh, and see how that challenges my, my viewpoints and beliefs. And um, if it seems pretty evidence-based, pretty sound, it can add to my more meat and potatoes kind of PT practice, then, then I'll probably you know, incorporate that to an extent. Okay. So what, um, I guess the, the question is, do you have, you said you have a few things that kind of like a curated stream uh, and so on. So, you know, we, we talked about a couple of things already, but are there, are there specific things that you like to use um, that kind of gives you that kind of information or that might be useful for somebody that's listening in? Yeah, definitely. One of my favorite ones right now, is it's an app and website called Read by QXMD. And what it is, is it's kind of a, it's a, feed of research articles that comes out and so you can follow any journal you really want to and uh, if you have uh, institutional access and you'll have full text to all the articles that come out so for example as a sports pt i'll subscribe to bjsm ajsm jospt probably five or six different ones that are really sound in, in the area that i work in 
So every day on my phone, I'll pop up with any new article that comes from those various journals, which is really cool. The other thing you can do on the same app is you can put in keywords. So let's say I work with I work concussion patients, so I'll put in concussion as a keyword, and any article that comes out with concussion immediately pops up into my feed. Now I mostly just scan the abstracts to be honest, but uh, but it you know kind of keeps you up to date with what's what's happening, what's going on, and um, and you can share, you can um, you can actually have a a shared collection between other clinicians that you can email or, you know, or save things in the shared collection. So I think there's a lot of uh, great uses for it. And that's one of the main, main things I use. The other two I put in that curated stream, I definitely use Twitter. Um, now Twitter is, it's madness out there. There's all kinds of trolls and crazy hot takes and just everything. But that's, uh, you know, you take that with a grain of salt for sure. It's more entertaining than every, anything. Um, but there's some good information there too. There's definitely some guys I like guys and girls like to follow on there. So that, and I think Instagram is kind of similar. There's not as much discussion it seems, but there's a lot of cool information that's popped out there. I don't follow Instagram as much, but I, I think that's where things are heading. It's where the cool kids do these days. And then the last <laughs> thing is I listen to a lot of podcasts, like similar to yours. I've definitely listened to quite a few episodes. You guys out a lot of good information um, I listen to several others like physio edge physio matters um, and a host of other ones as well so um, so I think those three areas are three of the big ones that that I use to get information across um, and it makes for uh, good discussion points and uh, and other things to add to my practice mm -hmm. I love the um, what you're talking um, by QMXD. and we'll make sure we put all this stuff in the show notes too for anybody that's interested but um, that kind of collaborative approach where you can save a collection of different articles that are, you know, really kind of pertinent to everything that you're studying and that kind of stuff, I think is great. Because if you had a group of clinicians, and I know Tyler, we talked about this, um, but if you had everybody kind of looking at different information and said, oh, this article, you know, it's got some really good information, sound evidence, you know, I think this would benefit everybody else to read it as well. You can put it right in that folder and then everyone has access to it, um, or at least has access to the title. Um, which is just great, you know, ultimately, because then you're talking about research and sharing it and that kind of thing. Right. I, I look at it as it's a way to kind of break down the silo and uh, silo mindset we have in the sports medicine world. You get a lot of people that, you know, just practice one way. And that's if they don't tune in anything and they don't have anybody else around, that's probably all they're going to do for their whole career. And so by having a, an actual steady stream of current information, um, it's like, tuning into ESPN for sports, you know, you don't just follow, I don't know, you don't just look at the New York Giants standings or New York Giants season from three years ago, you know, it's the only thing you know about football, you're kind of just following everything that's happening, and even though you're not a, a Saints fan for, per se, you still kind of have an idea of what's going on, and I, I see a lot of the social media stuff is, is kind of the analogous thing to tuning into a sports network or tuning into an a news network. So you, obviously you don't take everything, you know, any take Stephen A. Smith does about your ba favorite basketball team does not mean that that's the gospel right there, but it's, uh, but just everything that comes out from all the different stations uh, kind of keep you up to date with what's going on. Are there any like Instagram pages or Twitter pages that you uh, like recommend, like ones that you like? Yeah. So mentioned the podcast. I was just curious with the other forms of social media. Sure. Um, so with Twitter, 
uh, my my Twitter handle is at ortho underscore hub, and and if you look at my follower list, there's I have 150 on there, and there's a lot of really good ones. Um, I'm sorry, my following list, like a couple hundred actually, but there's a lot of good ones. Uh, I like both Peter and Kieran O'Sullivan are great. Um, you know, there's uh, gosh, there's so many. Um, although I'm blanking on a lot of them, I'm happy if anybody emails me, I'm happy to, to give them a list of. Really entertaining people to follow anybody from like the you know more inflammatory Adam Meekins to uh, you know more more sound you know more research based kind of uh, clinicians out there so a lot of good people out there mm-hmm. that's perfect well it, it makes sense it's I think it's it's good in a way to have that kind of information sent to you because in a in a world that is very busy and can be very hectic, and when you have life things going on, that darn life just keeps getting in the way, right? Um, it's nice to have it's things life. that are yeah. It's just nice to have things that are uh, streamlined and sent to you. You know, if it takes two seconds to to look at a notification on your phone and say, oh, a new articles out about concussions. Okay, well this would be good for me to read, or you know, so on and so forth, rather than having to you know spend a ton of time to actively search, which I feel like if you do have the time and that's what you want to do to kind of improve your practice, you can do that too. But it is nice to have that streamlined, to have things kind of coming to you um, when you have everything else kind of going on in your life. Definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. Cool. can dig it. Let's talk about some live stuff. So oh, right, here um, we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Everybody can out tune out now. This is a good closing moment. So before you get, uh, you know, some bad advice, it's been nice knowing everybody. <laughs> I'm like uh, really, really interested now. Like, I mean, I've been interested this whole time, but I'm like exponentially more interested because of how you just segued that. I, I want to know what's about to come. Oh, see, it's how, <laughs> it's how you hook into listeners, you know. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Well, let's, let's talk about this, you know, um, we always talk about like personal growth and, and failure and all these kinds of things. And this is a quote that I really like um, from Tim Ferriss's book, Tribe of Mentors, but how does a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have a favorite failure of yours? Good question. And Tim Ferriss actually podcasts I've, I've tuned into quite a bit as well. So um, he asks really good questions. So uh, if anybody hasn't checked out his podcast, I, I'd recommend it. Um, favorite failure i can't think of any particular i mean there's lots of failures but no one particular one that comes to mind i'll say the biggest thing is that um just the idea of failure and being okay with it is something that early on in, in my life in my career i certainly was not okay with that and, um, and i've realized how important failure is to personal growth and development so for example um you know I think early on you fight so, so hard to um, just control everything you can. And, and I think if you're not okay with failure, then you're assuming everything's always going to work out. You know, it's almost like an entitled kind of mindset to have. Um, whereas if you truly just give it your all and if your heart's in the right place, your mind's in the right place, something inevitably will not go right, then at that point in time, rather than just – being upset with the fact that there was a failure, just take it as an opportunity to learn from it and grow. So, because um, every single time that you fail, it's like this, um, you know, sympathetic response, fight or flight kind of thing, and that you you know, take it upon yourself really hard. That's not that's more 
and Mike, I've talked about this. It's more of a, a fixed or defensive mindset as opposed to a, a growth mindset, you know. So, um, not that you want to fail all the time, but just you can. You have two options when you do not get the result that you want. You know, you can either be upset about it or you can take it for what it is and, and try to go with it because that's all. That's all you have control over. I hear you on that, and that's you know that's something that's been um, kind of a good point for me anyway personally is just taking like those things like especially as a new grad coming out of the box like you're you're thinking to yourself like okay i have all these sets of skills and i'm going to make a huge difference and going to make all these like you know not going to mess up everything's going to be great and then inevitably you do (laughs) mess up and and think and things are not great sometimes you know and um you have to be okay with that and like you said i love what you said there you know take that point as an opportunity to to learn from it and kind of grow you know you can you have control over how you react to the situation um maybe not necessarily the situation because you only can do with what you know at the time right right it's kind of uh what some people define as emotional intelligence so something happens and at that point in time how you your attitude on that and your next discourse of actions is going to depend on how intelligent you emotionally intelligent you are to to make the best of that situation you know do you go into a blame mode where you're saying, ah, it couldn't have been me. You know, I don't want to be wrong. What can I, what excuse can I make? What can I blame this on? Or do you, you know, take responsibility for that and say, okay, this is what has happened, whether it's your fault or not, this is what's going on. And what is the next best thing that you can do? Because that's all you have control over. What's the the next thing? So here's kind of like an offshoot question on that. And because obviously like, I mean, I feel like Mike and I tend to be pretty introspective and like we always like overanalyze everything that we did and try to see like, you know, did we do something right? Like how could we have improved the situation? Um, But I wonder how much of, because that, what you kind of described there, like your emotional intelligence or being kind of like cerebral and how you choose to respond to situations, right? That's something that we also kind of want to see in our patients too, because you know, a lot of times if you have like a flare up, people will go, oh my God, I'm in pain again. And then just everything shuts down and mentally they start going to this like negative kind of cognitive spiral and then you know, everything is just increased exponentially because they have that emotional response to it. And so I know that that's like personally, that's something I try to, you know, encourage and reassure people and say, you know, like, you know, just because you have a flare up, it doesn't mean that you're getting worse. And like, think about the things that you can do to affect the situation but do you see or do you notice like a corollary between like a clinician having that type of mindset and like how the patient responds? Do you think that's something that we can try to help foster in people? Like if you tend to be more of an introspective or reflection or I guess more of like an in- emotionally intelligent, I don't, I don't really know what I'm saying, but <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I, I think I'm following you. So, you know, if inevitably, you know, we're going to have patients that love flare ups that, Unfortunate things will happen. You know, maybe they'll re-injure themselves. You know, they're a high school athletic, uh, high school player that retails their ACL, or, uh, or it's one of your middle-aged patients that you know has a flare-up from fibromyalgia or, or, or tendinopathy or something like that. I think patients can absolutely read the emotions on that the clinic that the clinician is showing. So if somebody had a flare-up or something went wrong, and now the clinician is you know, kind of defensive and or just stressed or worried about that, guess what? The patient is probably going to take that on as well. And if and if you know anything about pain, I mean, pain is, is basically a threat response. So you're escalating. If you're what you're showing is 
potential threat, well, they're definitely going to take that on. And so they're going to, that whole threat level is going to rise and probably going to make the whole situation worse. So I think, um, kind of to your point a little bit, can you actually be calm about it and walk them through that process and say, okay, we, we've had a set, you know, we've had a setback in the sense of, uh, you know, you're not feeling well, or maybe you've done too much, too much activity more than your body was ready to handle or the tissue was able to tolerate. So that's happened, but what can we do about that now and kind of help foster that skill in them. So when that situation happens again, uh, you know, once they're discharged, as soon as something happens, it's not, oh my God, everything's wrong again. Oh my God, I ruined something. It's no, I probably just, my cup overfilled a little bit. Maybe I just did a couple extra, you know, extra miles. Really, if I just scale back and under low, you know, just put out the fire, things will probably be okay, you know? And so I definitely try to, to encourage patients to have that skill and to work on that skill. Um, it's something that you can always work on lifelong too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Nice. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to add a follow up to that follow up and I can't formulate it in my head. I'm just gonna, we're just going to keep moving. <laughs> Use your use your words, Mike. I'm trying. Um, Mike, I want you to think guess, about what you're saying. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess the the question is, um, you know, we we talked about. I like the cut analogy that you just mentioned, but like, what other kind of strategies or things do you you employ for somebody that's coming in that's like, you know, freaking out about the fact that they you know in a lot more pain and they kind of had a flare up. You know, like we talked about that load management kind of thing, but are there any other like things that you tend to go to or, or things that you tend to say that kind of helps calm that down? I know we've talked about staying even keel and that kind of thing, but what other, what other strategies do you tend to use for somebody that's like that? This past year, I took a uh, CBT, a cognitive behavioral therapy course, um, for this very reason to see what other strategies I can implement in that. Um, I know the research is kind of hit or miss for some CBT stuff, but really it's just more the way that you talk to people and using some of the skills I found anecdotally is pretty helpful. So in the CBT mindset, when somebody has something going on, whether it's a problem, pain, whatever it might be, you can you break that down into four different things? And this is something that you kind of, you have to really develop your question asking skills um, to do. So let's say that, uh, I don't know, you're a really hardcore runner, you're training for a marathon, and you've been kind of battling this posterior tib tendinopathy. I'm just making up a situation. And all of a sudden, um, you know, something went awry. You know, you had a bit of a flare up there. So when they come in, rather than just saying, um, oh, crap, you know, we need to – or you tell them, like, you need to do this or do that. Rather than just telling them what they need to do, ask them one of these four kind of domain questions to figure out um, with the feeling they have of that setback, what's – you know, what's their actual feeling about it? Um, what kind of behaviors are they, are they, are they doing when they're in that situation? Um, what is their thought processes in that situation? And then, um, you know, just, so we have behavioral, um, yeah, what behaviors and then what emotions do you have on there as well? So really anything that you, that goes on, you can tease that out in people and say, okay, when I'm having pain, my, you know, my feeling is that I'm, uh, you know, things are going to, to continue to go bad. My emotion is that I'm, I'm upset. Like this pain is making me upset. My behavior is that I am, um, kind of withdrawing from all of my other exercises, you know? And so I like to 
ask them a lot of reflective uh, questions and kind of figure out, you know, where their head's at with that. And a lot of times when you tease things out like that, people feel a lot better. You know, it's like a kind of a therapy session for them to talk out what's going on. And so if you just tell them what they need to do, then any time they have pain in the future, well, guess who they're going to go to? They're not going to go inward. They're going to have to come back to you for that. You know, so mm -hmm. they get that therapist dependence that you really, I don't think you really want. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if you can kind of get them more in tune with how they're actually, what they feel in that situation or what they do in that situation, um, I think that's pretty powerful. Awesome. No, I, I, I completely agree with you, man. That's that's some some real deep stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's something anybody, every all of us can do, and you know, you can do it with yourself as well. You know, so let's say uh, I don't know, maybe you're working with somebody post-operatively as a therapist, and it's a complicated post-op thing. Maybe it doesn't have to be, but you, you know, maybe overlook something. Maybe you didn't follow a precaution perfectly well, or maybe that patient didn't do what you what you wanted them to do, and they told the the, the doctor that. Well, Mike told me that I was supposed to do that, you know, and as soon as you get in one of these really uh, emotionally charged situations, step, you know, first thing is like de-escalate de and step back and ask yourself, like, okay, what am I feeling? Am I actually, is my you know, heart rate coming up? What's my breathing like in that situation? What, why does it make me feel that way? Um, what am I doing? Am I, you know, not, am I present or am I just, my head's about trying to put out the fire trying to stop the failure from going on, you know? So, um, so that's something I like to do, you know, definitely take the time and kind of work myself through a lot of those, um, questions to ask yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, do you find that that's a skill, um, that can be kind of like trained and improved upon? So like when you ask yourself those questions, you get better and better at answering them? Over oh, time? absolutely. No, for sure. For sure. And that's a lifelong thing. Uh, you're, when you first start off, it's, uh, and as, it kind of also incorporates mindfulness in that a bit, and that's definitely a lifelong skill of being able to, um, you know, find yourself present there and be able to bring yourself back, rein it in, and then actually be able to use those self questions for um, to improve yourself on. It, it's not easy. It's, you know, when you're when you're ruminating on something, it seems like it's like how in the world can I still be my best version of myself for treating all my patients that are coming up after that, you know, cause you might still be thinking about that situation from earlier. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's a skill that we'll just keep working on and, um, you know, you can work with other people with as well and see what works for some people and what works for others and, and sharing helpful too. Cool. I can dig it kind of along that, um, same kind of vein. Um, I'm looking at the sheet over here and I think this is kind of applicable too. So, you know, we talk about different investments that you made or kind of like worthwhile things um, and that kind of stuff. Um, what would you say is like one of your best worthwhile, worthwhile investments that you've ever made? Um, I think it's, it's, it's applicable. Yeah, that's a, that's a good Tim Ferriss question right there. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's always one of his go-tos. I think one of the best investments, uh, non-materialistic in, in a way, but you know, you've got to invest within yourself. Um, and what I mean by that is, if you are, if you really prioritize the things that, that make you function at your best, then you're much better at answering those self questions. You're much better at handling situations. So, you know, if I've been stressed out or I'm, you know, deep into a project or studying for exam, you know, scale back and think, how, how is my sleep? You know, am I actually sleeping a reasonable amount? How's my exercise? And I do all the things that make a human organism go, you know, like sleep, exercise, hydration, um, 
what else we have you know, just being you know social and being around people that you appreciate and enjoy um you know how much of that are you getting and if the answer is your your sleep's kind of shit and you're you're not eating well you're not exercising well guess what your brain's definitely not functioning as well as, as it could be so start with that make sure that is always prioritized and then from there um then you can start tackling some of those other things in life but i definitely think um you know, focusing on that, investing in that is, is huge for personal development and for just career success. Yeah, That's, I kind of agree with you. Um, you know, I, I like to think of those those things as kind of like the low hanging fruit. Right. So, you know, if you get this foundation of stuff, you know, if you get your sleep right, like you said, you know, you get the exercise in, you get the water and all that kind of stuff in the socialization, like you get those like basic human needs taken care of, then you have such a stronger foundation to build off to give yourself, you know, give your best self and put your best foot forward. Um, but I think we get caught up a lot in trying to do too many things or, or trying to go for like the, you know, I don't know, overreaching ourselves in such ways. But if we can just get those basic kind of human needs taken care of first, then everything else springboards off of that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we've, uh, we've talked a lot about a bunch of different things, a variety of different topics here, um, you know, but uh, this is another Tim Ferriss question I love. Um, we, lo we love getting people, uh, people's perspective on this kind of stuff. Um, but, if you haven't read the book Tribe of Mentors, do it. most of the questions <laughs> that Mike uh, has pulled from there are from that book. Hey, Maybe. don't reinvent the wheel, you know. It's, yeah. No. Don't reinvent the wheel. Just and it's it's cool too because when we ask these similar types of questions, like everybody responds to them differently, and everybody goes uh, about it a different way. And I think that's the coolest thing about um, doing podcasts in this regard, and just like interviewing people, because everybody inevitably comes from a different backgrounds, and everybody inevitably is going to problem solve differently with their unique experiences and everything else. And so it's kind of fun having you know these similar types of questions because you get to see these different thought processes from each unique individual. Um, so it's you know, kind of fun. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> nice, the heart <laughs> emoji. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, yeah, so I mean, this is kind of poignant for people who are, um, you know, on the cusp of graduation and, and all this kind of stuff, let's say. But what advice would you give to a smart, driven college student about to enter the real world? And what advice should they ignore? What are your thoughts? What advice would I give them? Um, I would say just soak up everything around you know um everybody like you guys are saying comes from a different perspective and and has different bits of advice so i think we're pretty fortunate at our clinic that we have over 30 different pts so you know be able to a lot of people it's a lot of pts a lot, a lot, of, lot of personalities a lot of pts all in one place so that's what makes it great so definitely staying open and you know you can you can listen to somebody you can be best friends with them you can do everything without haven't necessarily do what they would do, you know, or, or just because they tell you something doesn't mean that you have to, to go by it. Um, so, you know, I tell Mike all this stuff all the time, but I, you know, he doesn't have to do any of this stuff. He's like probably saying a lot of crazy things and you're like, I don't know about that. But hey, you know what? It's another perspective. So, um, so I think just being a sponge is huge. Um, bad advice kind of goes back to the whole failure thing, but feeling the need to be perfect all the time. Um, definitely don't need to do that. Just accept the fact that, hey, it's the way it goes, you know, just give it your all and, and kind of go from there. So um, I think sometimes people get a little too hung up on reputation or too hung up on, is this person going to like me? Is this surgeon going to like me? Is, uh, you know, if I mess this up, what's going to happen? But 
You know, it's just if you, if you're honest and you're open, you communicate about things, especially as surgeons or other PTs. They're, you know, they understand. They're they're more than welcome to. Uh, they're more than happy to help you out. So, um, stay open, communicate well, and, and things should go pretty well. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so we always we, we talk a lot about this kind of stuff on on a lot of the different episodes, but um, you know, reading we we tend to like a lot. Um, are there books or things that you're reading right now that has been very impactful for you? And if so, you know, what, what, what are those, you know, books that have been, that have been good for you or, uh, that you'd be willing to kind of share for anybody else that's listening? Yeah. So I've been, uh, reading several books at the same time right now, and I'm doing maybe like at a snail's pace, five pages here, five pages there. So I'm just in this eternal circle of trying to finish five books at one time. It's, it's a ridiculous, uh, chore, but <laughs> Probably next year I'll finish them all and I'll let you know. But uh, <laughs> so a couple that I'm reading right now, um, whether it's audiobook or, or paper, I just finished. Uh, sorry for swearing, but the uh, subtle art of not giving a fuck is wonderful. <laughs> Such a good you? book. By yeah. far the one book that I consistently share with people on Audible all the time. Great, great, fantastic book. Yeah, I was not let down. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I. For people who are in the, uh, I don't know, just go, go, go kind of mindset and personalities like a lot of us PTs are, I definitely recommend it. Um, another one I'm reading right now, and this one's not necessarily a personal development book, but more of a psychology type of thing, is it's called The Body Keeps the Score. Um, and the idea behind that one is it's about trauma and how trauma affects us somatically. And so it talks a lot about people who, and I'm, I'm very early in the book, but people that had uh, either PTSD or just subtle trauma things, you know, so something happened when you grew up, um, could be trivial seeming, but a lot of things that happened to us early in life manifest in different physical ways, and it just starts to shape the way that we think about things and the way that we do things, so it's almost like a people can adopt this learned helplessness, um, mm -hmm. and you've probably seen a lot of your patients before that when they get in this in a situation of pain or, or anything else like that, they kind of revert back to certain probably a lot of times negative or, or unhelpful thought patterns, um, or they just they experience it in, in really uh, unfortunate ways. So uh, it's just a really interesting book so far. I definitely would recommend it too, especially if you work a lot with, with the chronic or persistent pain population. Um, and just really as PTs, we should be pretty well well versed in pain so uh i would certainly recommend that one too nice nice that's great um we'll make sure we put links down in the show notes too for anybody that's interested um i, I kind of have to echo that to the the subtle art book is phenomenal um listen to that on audiobook when i was driving back from arizona actually and uh just like was really blown away by a lot of the uh realizations that this guy has had i think I mean, just the the story when he's at, in Cape Town and he's kind of like sitting on the edge of the world, essentially, um, looking at his own existence and, and like kind of putting things into perspective. Um, I try to remember that sometimes when I'm stressed out about trivial things. So <laughs> it's right. it's a nice thing to kind of like, yeah. And like you said, kind of like take the, the kind of sympathetic response out of it and kind of step back for a second. Um, you know, it's that kind of picture that kind of helps me get back to that point. But um yeah, we'll definitely make sure that we put that stuff in the show notes uh, for anybody that's interested in, in following up with that. I like uh, I, I really like that one too because one of the big discussions in it is like 
challenging what your metrics are for like things like success and you know like the, the a lot of the ideas of like it's okay to be mediocre and like why why are we so afraid to just accept like mediocrity yeah and if everyone is inherently special and deserves everything how is any one person special so there's a lot of like interesting little little things like that but i really like the idea of like reframing what your metrics are you know, because if you're thinking about like, I <clears throat> coming out of school, it's like I'm gonna be the best therapist. I'm gonna like, I'm gonna fix everybody. Everybody's gonna be healed. You know, like there's nobody's gonna not get better. And then when you come <laughs> out, you realize that like life is, you know, and therapy is great. There's a lot of a lot of other things that go on, and you know, there are people, some people that you work with that may get worse on like while they're under your care. They may not have a positive experience, and so like changing that metric of I'm going to be the best and everyone's going to get a hundred percent better to like maybe something like I'm going to have positive interactions with my patients or, you know, changing what that metric is for your vision of success or what it means to be a good therapist, I think is, is really good. Yeah. It, it talks about, um, valuing again, more, your, or, um, judging yourself more on your values than it is upon outcomes, you know? Mm-hmm. So did you, but let's say one of your values is honesty, you know, like, did you, if, if you were absolutely honest, then you can kind of judge yourself in a way that that was a great, that's fantastic. Like you can live with that. But if you judge yourself based upon, you know, your ACL retear rate, well, guess what? <laughs> your self-worth and self-values derive from things outside your control. And that is, that's a really slippery slope um, to go down. So put things, you know, find out what your values are. And those are things that are always within your control. And I think you'll get the book suggests, and I've come to find out as well, that you can definitely garner a lot more happiness just by loving the process and loving, you know, working towards your values than it is um, somebody else's outcome, um, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because they talk a lot about like, you know, not caring about like the grind and the the hard stuff right that like you only have so many like things that you can invest your time in like you have a finite amount of for lack of a better term fucks to give uh, <laughs> yeah sorry, sorry sorry grandma um <laughs> and so you have to figure out like you know what are the things that are important to you and and how do you invest your time and your meaning how do you give things meaning in your life Mm-hmm. And um, so figuring out how to like do that and still be able to set kind of like lofty goals, but the things that you're not caring about are the stupid trivial things that are, you know, that would normally like set you back or get you hung up on and right. just kind of embracing the process so that you can ultimately become a better version of yourself. I, I don't know. I, I love, dude, I love that book so much. It, I, I do too. Audible I, I, all the time. Jake, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... And that is that's an all-timer for me, no yeah. doubt. It actually reminds me of another book. In a, it ties in well. They're definitely not the same thing, but there's a book called The One Thing. I think Angela Duckworth – no, she wrote Grit, but it's called she The One Grit. Thing. Um, have you guys read that one? It's on my wish list, but I haven't read it. I am audible in Grit right now, and that is a good book too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't read or, or listened to Grit yet. That's also on my list, but mm-hmm. um, The One Thing – kind of ties in well actually with the subtle art book because it talks about um you know finding if there's just one thing in life that that you enjoy let's say it's um i don't know you you really what you feel passionate about what what you feel is your calling 
that everything that you do, because again, you, you have a finite amount of fucks that you can give. So you might as well, everything that you do in your day should be prioritized around working towards that thing. And that might, again, that might not be a very, I don't know, tangible, like award-based thing. But um, so when on a given day, you say, what is the one thing that I can do in order to get me closer towards this? Um, mm. I think that keeps things in perspective a bunch. And, um, and if you tie it into your values, like from, again, the book we were talking about, I think it really simplifies life quite a bit. And I say this as somebody who, anybody at work will, will agree with this, uh, that I, I seem to take a ton of projects here and there and just am all over the place as a human. So I think I can do everything and do it well. And it's just not the case. And so uh, finding out what I actually truly am passionate about and, uh, and kind of putting my, my Fs there and not about having to have the best at everything. It's just, and I'm prone to that. I'm, it's one of my tendencies, not a strength for sure, but um, again, it's something I'm working towards. And, uh, and I think it's not just me. I'm sure a lot of people in life could, could say the same. Definitely. <laughs> I'm guilty of that too. <laughs> so I hear you on that, my friend. Mike, that kind of reminds me of Atomic Habits a little bit. Mm. Um, just as far as like, cause I think there's a point in there where he said, have you, Tyler, have you read Atomic Habits? Or are you That's familiar with it? That's actually next queued up, I think. So <laughs> nice. okay. I'm starting to listen to Atomic Habits. So that, it's funny we have like these five books. Yeah. They're, all of them are like literally. <laughs> I actually signed up for Audible by accident, and so I and I thought it was my Amazon Prime subscription. So it's just been. Get, I've been getting charged monthly the last couple months for it, and before I finally realized it. So now I have all these credits built up, and. Mm. Uh, <laughs> subtle art book and atomic habits and uh and grit are all on there right now nice so, no, I, haven't, I haven't read or listened to it yet atomic habits and like it's not like a spoiler or anything but there's just a he kind of had mentioned something you know when you're talking about the one thing um there's a couple points in there where he he, he kind of poses the question like um if i if a if you're trying to be successful at something you can kind of frame it as uh, would a successful person in this area do this? You know, like would a really, would a successful rock climber do this thing? Would a successful power lifter do this thing? Would a successful physical therapist do this thing? And it's almost like if you watch the office where Dwight's like, before I do anything, I ask myself, would an idiot do that? And yes. then if the answer is yes, I don't do that thing. It's basically that, but it's in like more of the context of, you know, habit formation or propelling you toward a goal. Yeah. Um, and so that just kind of reminded me of that. But Atomic Habits is another really good one. Nice. Yeah. Nice. On the list for sure. Probably tomorrow we'll start on it. So I'll get back to you guys on that. I feel like we need we need a book club. I mean, this is a podcast awesome, but maybe we just need mm -hmm. to form a little book club going on because we got the, uh, the same books in mind here. So, And I do actually want to branch out from – personal development books too certainly i do like fiction and other things so maybe i need to step back a little bit as well but have those you, are all great books have you read watchmen uh no you mean like the comic book watchmen mm -hmm. uh i have not although mike and i saw we're, there's no spoilers don't worry no spoilers <laughs> mike and i did see endgame last night um, i also saw endgame last night okay just mm -hmm. give me a I, i'm not gonna answer mine because i think you're even more excited than me but give me a zero out of ten. Ten being it was the most powerful, like you cried, it was phenomenal movie, and Zero is 
uh, like After Earth with Will Smith and Jaden Smith. That's your, oh, wow. Where are we at? In <laughs> um, you know, I'd probably give it like a mild like 12. Okay. You know? Now, now also another 0 to 10. 0 to 10, how much of a Marvel fan are you? Because I think that determines the first score a little bit more. Probably like a 14 to 17. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like with any Marvel movie, there were some things that I liked and didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was, I felt completed leaving the movie theater. Yeah, yeah. Um, in several ways. I'll say this. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it did a phenomenal job for Marvel fans that have gone through, what, 22 films of mm-hmm. tying up loose ends a lot of callbacks, a lot of fan service, you know, it was quite emotional. So it was, it was a good film overall. Um, we, we can chat off air about some more thoughts on, on everything, but, uh, overall, if you're a Marvel fan, go out and see it. You'll enjoy it. Where is your, what's your zero to 10? Oh boy. You really want to know? So I am, like I'm, I'm like a six out of 10 Marvel fan first. Okay. Of so that, that, you know, I, I watched the movies I am not diehard. Um, I will not watch it like one of our colleagues' husbands is going to watch it five times this weekend. I'm not that level. Um, but I would say I would put it similar to my ranking as a Marvel fan. Like I'd say it's like a six or seven because, because, because I, I thought it did well for the Marvel Universe, but as a stand standalone film, I, I mean, it was okay. I, I liked Infinity War better. I'll put it that way. And I don't think, and I don't want this to be a downer because I'm sure everybody in the world loved the movie. So go out and enjoy it. Don't listen to me. It's actually great. But I would take Infinity War over this one for the simple fact it was a little bit more gripping and you didn't know what was going to happen in Infinity War. This one felt a little bit more predictable, but the trade off was that for the predictability, you got um, closure, you know? So that's that's how I put it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mike? Zero to yeah. So, um, for Marvel fan, I'm probably 11 out of 10, um, which I think is what I said yesterday too. Yeah, 11. Um, but as far as the movie goes, like I really liked it, but again, that there were some things that I didn't. Um, I probably would like a seven. Um, there is, from what you guys had mentioned already, some good things that I thought were really nice. The fan service stuff was really cool. Um, the last like hour of the movie was pretty good. Uh, I won't go into detail, um, but there were some things that I didn't quite like as much either. So I don't know. I'll give it a solid seven. Fair enough. All right, guys, I know we're derailing, so I'm going to give you one last <laughs> derail thing, and I'll let Mike bring it back like he so skillfully does. Um, tonight, for any <laughs> listener that's that's tuning in, um, this is April 28th, which is a Sunday, which means that the Game of Thrones episode three is coming out for this current season, which is super hyped. So I know, Mike, you're behind in the episodes, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> like four but Jake, you are caught up, I, I assume. Uh, yes. Okay. Very now, much so. are you as hyped as I am? Because I'm at 15 out of 10 hyped right now. This is going to be I'm great. I'm very hyped because this is supposed to be more like intense than the Battle of the Bastards was. Well, and remember, don't spoil anything because one, one of your co-hosts – has been living underneath a rock and hasn't been caught up yet so <laughs> oh that's true well he doesn't even know what that means then that's true that's true 
This is true. I, you said that, and I was like, I Mike, that spoiler <laughs> alert, Ned Stark dies. <laughs> what? <laughs> spoiler no! alert. Throw the microphone. <laughs> oh, gosh. I would where, flip this laptop. But Mike, where, where even are you in the show right now? Uh, the, okay. So the last you, thing that are I you like episodes behind or like seasons behind seasons behind the last oh. thing that I remember was, uh, Peter Baelich kicking, um, the Aaron queen out of the moon door. Oh, that's a real okay. power move. Yeah. 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 I don't even, how is that like, I don't know. Three seasons back, two seasons. Where is that? That's probably season five. I want to say, or season four, four or five. Okay. Those two. Okay. That's the last thing I remember. <laughs> so well, Mike, been, you have homework. Stop reading books and go watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> I know. What am I doing? Mike, I mean, if you dedicated the same amount of time to like current pop culture TV shows that you do to self um, growth, I think you would be caught up on Game of Thrones. <laughs> Probably. Probably. I got some homework to do. <laughs> Shame. Shame. Ugh. Another Game of Thrones reference, but she doesn't know, but keep going. <laughs> oh, Mike. Mike, 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 how, Mike. How do you talk to your patients, Mike? I mean, this is this is the majority of what I talk about people, you know? If you're caught up on pop culture. It's mm-hmm. Just shooting the, the blank with people. Come on. I Game of Thrones. About, oh, no. I talk a lot about food. Food works. Mike's <laughs> uh, well, like Mike's like stuck in 94 it's like the third eye blind self-titled album um the cuban missile crisis like whoa i, I mean yeah it's still there third eye blind reference i like it we had one episode where i did i name i think i named all of somehow worked all of the song titles mm-hmm. into a question and or a response you did it was with uh carrie yeah, I think that's it was frightening, Jake. So, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> it's funny too, because so um, Carrie's fiance now, which is pretty awesome. Um, Brad, I went to high school with. I'm really good friends with Brad, and Brad and I have always been huge Third Eye Blind fans. And so when Jake was going on this montage of all of the Third Eye Blind songs in the question, in the form of a question, like Jeopardy, um, he. Brad was in the background just, like, dying. So <laughs> I don't know if you can hear him laughing or anything like that, but he was, like, like giddy with excitement as Jake kept going on and on about all these different Third Eye Blind songs. I, I am face-palming right now, but I'm also, at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of proud of you guys. That's impressive. So very good. <laughs> Dedication to a craft, my friend. That's right. That's, his, that's Jake's one thing, Third Eye Blind. <laughs> Well, I don't know if it's the right one. It's just like overly dedicated to really bad jokes. Mm. You're doing well. You're doing well. Like there was – so I am in like a, a book club with a couple people from Clinical Athlete, and we were talking about um, – we were reading a book, uh, Other Minds. And so mm. it's a – the premise is that I think he – I think he's a philosopher who's like also really big into scuba diving. Mm-hmm. And so he's obsessed with this like octopus colony like off the coast of Australia and just like goes down there and he like goes into this whole discussion of like what it means to be like conscious and the development of the ner- nervous system and stuff from like a somewhat philosophical but also somewhat like scientific like point of view. 
And somehow that turned into a joke about me body tempering an octopus. Long, <laughs> long story. Um, and so I made some joke about it and they questioned my dedication. And so I ended up buying a small uh, Cthulhu uh, plushie. <laughs> nice. And <clears throat> then proceeded to take it to the gym with me and use a very large piece of steel to release all of its adhesions. Um, oh my god. <laughs> nice. I'm glad yeah. you're able to, uh, to get those adhesions out. Nice, nice work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can just see how limber it is now. Like, it's, it, like it flows. It's soft and plush. And, um... So, uh... <laughs> this is Mike's, Mike's cue right here. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. So... You just taught me ten minutes ago. No, like... And it was too magical. <laughs> it was good. Rabbit holes, as is normal on this show. But uh, yeah, let's let's bring it all back together. Um, you know, we talk about like questions that we like to repeat on the show, and there's one that we've consistently repeated uh, for every episode that we've done, which is pretty awesome. So um, buckle up. So uh, we here at the Movie Docs believe in always moving forward in all that you do. So based on all of your previous experience and knowledge in life and love and the pursuit of happiness, what is one piece of advice that you'd give to anyone listening to the show to help them be versions of themselves what do you got tyler all right so um i was prepped for this question ahead of time so i uh there's a quote that i really enjoy and it kind of ties in everything we've been talking about and the quote goes as such that we cannot change our past we cannot change the fact that people act in a certain way we cannot change the inevitable the only thing we can do is play on the one string we have and that is our attitude and I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react. Um, and that quote's been going on a long time, but it, I think it sums up a lot of what we've been talking about uh, today. So um, so definitely you have control of your attitude and you've always got that. So stay positive, enjoy life, and, uh, and kick some butt. <laughs> I love it. Tyler, we, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on our show. Um, if anyone's listening to this show that wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way that they can do that? So you can email me at tyler.cope at duke.edu or get at me on the Twitter uh, at ortho underscore hub. Um, happy to uh, get back to anybody there. And I appreciate you guys having me on the show. This is a great first podcast, and hopefully you guys will have me back in the future. Um, so, yeah, appreciate it. Awesome. That's perfect. Well, thanks again for tuning in this week where we spoke with Tyler Cope, PTDPTLATATC. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdmovementdocs at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Spoiler alert for Avengers Endgame, guys. Things happen. <laughs>